Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. In our last Gains podcast, we were talking about how a lot of the so-called experts and talking heads on TV and the financial shows had given the economy and markets the all-clear sign. And that many were saying, hey, clear the decks, we're heading higher. And I mentioned at the time, and so did our guest, Matt Matigan, things still look bearish from a technical standpoint and also on the fundamental side, too. And sure enough, later in the week, we saw that market weakness kick in in a big way, and there's no sign of volatility going anywhere. And the Federal Reserve and Fed policy is a key component to all the stock market volatility. So today, we're going to turn to our go-to Fed guy for more clarity and get his take on things, and that's what we're going to discuss today. Volatility in the markets and how Fed policy is driving a lot of this. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is GAINS. So let's bring on our go-to Fed guy, David Jones, chairman of DMJ Advisors in Denver, author of the book, Understanding Central Banking. David had a career at the Fed, and as mentioned, uh, he joins us often on the Gaines Podcast and the Noon Business Hour to shed clarity on the Federal Reserve and Fed policy. David, so glad to have you on the Gaines Podcast. How you doing? Uh, just fine and delighted to be with you. Glad to bring you on because the Fed is a key component to what we've been seeing going on with the markets right now. And, you know, you were at the Fed and have a ton of experience with this. And we've talked about this before. Fed a little late to moving here when we, when they t- t- said things were transitory when they weren't. And now they're a little bit behind the curve. And now we're starting to see fallout in the market. But kind of explain how this Fed policy is impacting stocks in a very big way, David. Yes, I'd be happy to. Um, One interesting feature that I should mention up front is that I 
as a Fed watcher was spoiled by having my idol as Paul Volcker. Um, I went through the experience back in the early 1980s of his uh, anti-inflation fight um, and recall that we saw rates move sharply higher, mortgage rates 18.5%, short-term rates above 20%. I uh, had to do that in order to beat down inflation, which was then just about where it is now. In no way am I saying that the Fed will have to go that far, uh, but I do think that we need to use as a standard for understanding how to beat down inflation Paul Volcker's great success. So, And it was ironic um, that uh, Chairman Powell referred to Volcker as his idol as well, saying that Volcker always did what he thought was right. The bottom line is that Chairman Powell's going to have to get busy. He is behind the curve. He was wrong, as you note, in calling inflation transitory. It's rising too high, and it tends to be built into the economy um, if the Fed doesn't get busy. Starting behind the curve, the Fed just has to keep going uh, in raising rates. Over the last 20, 30 years, we haven't really seen the inflation factor in all of this. And that's kind of a fresh dynamic that I think a lot of investors haven't had to deal with. You know, if the markets and the economy were getting soft, you know, the, the Fed had the luxury of adding stimulus, reducing rates, this is a whole different dynamic. So explain why why markets are getting beat by the Fed having to address this inflation thing and why it's something we haven't seen since, you know, towards the beginning of your career. That's a critical point. Uh, you're doing well to mention it. Um, in a lot of ways, we had never seen anything like it. Let's start with the fact that for roughly a decade, short-term interest rates have been essentially at zero. Uh, We have never seen credit that cheap for that long. And uh, that's the starting point. The second point you so well make is that what was amazing about this 10-year, eight-month expansion in the economy we just went through prior to the uh, pandemic is that inflation was unbelievably quiet during that period, subdued um, in ways that nobody dreamed could be possible. You had three factors that were worked there. One is uh, global demographics, uh, particularly in the West. Western advanced economies have seen their labor force aging, uh, the U.S. included there. And um, that means the economy slows. That means there's a surplus of savings uh, has important implications for uh, low prices. The second thing is globalization, which I think is one of the most powerful forces at work. Everybody began to put together global supply chains, and those supply chains moved to low labor cost countries. So we had spectacular performance in production worldwide with low labor costs. And of course that allowed inflation to stay low. And then all equally important was our high tech revolution, which 
is by its nature disinflationary. So we had three big factors that we've never had before, along with uh, extremely cheap credit. And that leads me, at least, to the next point, which is if you're a household saver and you can't make any returns on your savings account because interest rates are so low, uh, it's almost natural that you begin to speculate in the stock market. And why not pick tech stocks? Because uh, that's where the action is and will probably continue to be. And so no one realized how much of a bubble we saw in those tech stocks because of those special circumstances. You know, I talk to so many investors now and and they keep asking, hey, have we hit the bottom? Have we hit the bottom? Is this the worst of this? Uh, is the worst over? Hey, I thought the Fed had our back. So, you know, if things get too rough, they'll just they'll just uh, go loose monetary policy again. And I'm like, it's not quite like that. I mean, with the inflation the way it is, they really have to tackle that. I think real quick, explain why it's even more important for the Fed to tackle inflation than worrying at, about equity prices at this point? Perfect question. It all comes down to one word, credibility. The Fed has to prove itself. Powell has been a little shaky on that credibility scene, and that's what, one of the reasons why the markets have been so, the stock market has been so volatile recently. Uh, one day the market thinks Powell is going to do the right thing. The next day, the market thinks Powell is way behind the curve and won't have the guts to follow through as Volcker did in finally killing inflation and particularly inflation expectations. So um, it's a big test for Powell. Uh, you're absolutely right that that many in the market who have never seen an environment of rising interest rates are quick to say, well, um, Powell can't go through with this. You know, he has to worry about the stock market, has to worry about the possibility that the collapse in personal wealth because of declining stock prices will cause consumer spending to pull back. And I'm just sure the market participant would say that Powell will panic when the economy slows. But if you listen carefully to him recently and go by his words, at least, Powell says, look, we're going to do everything in our power now, having started behind the curve, to raise interest rates enough to make inflation cool down. And we're going to keep at it. Uh, we, we'll try to have a soft landing, but if we can't have a soft landing uh, because inflation is not coming down, look out, because I'm going to tolerate a recession if I have to because my credibility is on the line. That's how I would uh, state Powell's reasoning at this point, at, belatedly. With all this in play, then, the, you know, the second question is, well, how much farther do they have to go? You know, we're going to have to see some deterioration from the consumer, I think, before they can back off. There's got to be some things that, that, that have to happen here. So, just from your experience and watching this for a very long time, how far are we away? How much more do they have to go to get a handle on this realistically? Well, I was trying to do some numbers um, actually quite recently uh, with regard to that uh, 
particular issue. Um, I think if we take uh, what the Fed is planning to do, remember we went up 25 basis points or a quarter of a percentage point in March. <clears throat> then uh, we went up um, 50 basis points or half a percentage point in May, and the Fed has said that we're going to go up by another 50 basis points in June and another 50 basis points in July. Um, but even with all of those rate hikes, the Fed is still not exactly at neutral, which remember, that's where um, Powell has said he'd like to be by late this year. So, you know, I, I'd say we might have to see another 20, at least 25 basis points in September and another one in November. If you have that, it will mean that before the end of the year, Powell gets to neutral. I think that would be around two and a half percent. And I think he will pause perhaps at that point and see if there has been any effect on inflation. Um, but my view is that he's going to have to go substantially above neutral uh, in order to have some effect on this inflation process. We can talk about how the summer is going to look, but um, I think it's pretty grim. And I don't see any major reduction in that uh, extremely hot pace of inflation until very late this year, perhaps even going into next year. Uh, so the answer is neutral is not going to do it. Getting up to two and a half percent, you know, we're probably talking much more like three to four percent in terms of the Fed's target rate for the federal funds rate. So the Fed has to go into restrictive territory and above neutral is uh, an interest rate concept where the Fed uh, rate level n neither stimulates nor depresses the economy. Uh, we've got to go way beyond that in order to have any effect. I want to mention at some point in our conversation how this summer looks. And that's what we're going to talk about when we get back from a quick break here. Hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's an option for you. I've been told that's podcast gold. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We drop Gains episodes on Wednesday and Friday mornings. We'll be right back after the break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> 
Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Back with David Jones, chairman of DMJ Advisors out of Denver, his book, Understanding Central Banking. A must-read. Check that out. I've been told by a number of economists that they think that end of summer starts getting a little tricky and uh, things at the end of the the year could actually not look very good in the economy. I'd love to get your take and my real quick question, too, is could the Fed go ahead and go maybe more than 50 basis points in the next to get a kind of a, a jump on that? What do you think their next move? What do you think they should do? Um, we talked 50 basis points. But could, what if they went a little more aggressive and tried to get on top of this? And then how is this all going to play out going into summer? Again, uh, you make an excellent point in that. If I were in the Fed chair, and in my career, I used to dream about that. I um, wish you were. I wish you were, David, actually, in the <laughs> Fed chair, to be honest with you. <laughs> but go ahead. If I, were in, if I were in that chair, I would surprise the market at some point, maybe in, let's say, in that June policy move, or maybe July, instead of going 50 basis points, I might surprise the markets with 75, just to prove that I mean business. Um, uh, may, that would be mainly to achieve credibility because one way or another, the Fed is going to have to get those interest rates, um, that, that target federal funds rate into restrictive territory. And um, the summer does not look good. And I completely share your trepidation with the idea that we may not bring that inflation rate down nearly as much as some people hope by the end of the year. Just think about it. We, most people say we're going to have gasoline prices at $6 a gallon um, by summer. Most people think that heating costs, um, I mean, electrical costs for air conditioning, I should say, are going to be higher than anybody possibly could imagine by summer. And, uh, and we have a war going on in which the global supply of commodities have been, has been severely constrained. And uh, we could have food shortages in the world, which will keep food prices high. So I don't see a lot of optimism on this inflation side. I mean, some things will come down, like perhaps used car prices or some things like that. But I think in the general thrust of inflation, it's higher, not lower. And you you mentioned a a big issue that we've been talking about, food. And uh, I've had a couple discussions with some some of our economists that we often have on the Noon Business Hour, and they've told me this food issue 
is is bigger than a lot of people think it's going to be. And, you know, with with food, you it's not turnkey because, you know, you, you just don't instantly produce corn. I mean, there's 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 time involved and and strategy and, and so forth, you know, for for farmers. Uh, you know, I was recently in Iowa. I was in Iowa over the weekend and I talked to a farmer and he mentioned that, um, you know, even though there's higher commodity prices, the thing that's plaguing farmers in Iowa is say they, you know, had to take a loan for a million last year, a, a million two. That farmer says with the added inflation for fertilizer, fuel, and then also it's real tough to find labor, he's going to have to basically borrow two million versus like 1.2 just a year later to account for all these higher input costs. And he said the the thing that's really bad with it is the even the higher food prices as they are right now can't even offset that. So just your thoughts on, on, on food, how bad it can be, and, you know, are you hearing similar things that I'm getting from farmers in Iowa? Exactly. I was born and raised in Iowa, so um, I know a lot about those cornfields. Um, I, I basically grew up in them. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, that farmer is still on a cost basis uh, behind the curve in terms of his financial condition. And so in, in, in order for our great country to grow enough corn and wheat and other items that are going to be in extremely short supply uh, because of problems in the Ukraine and Russia, um, uh, it's going to be a very difficult situation. And I don't think it's easy to get out of that situation. You described it perfectly. Um, it's going to take time. Uh, we may be well in the next year or beyond before we can bring that uh, food crisis uh, down in any significant way. And finally, I just want to emphasize as much as I possibly can the huge mistake that the Biden administration had from the day it came into office in its war on fossil fuels. Uh, behind it all, behind the cost of diesel fuel for that Iowa farmer is uh, an absolutely idiotic idea that, that, that we should declare war on fossil fuels when fossil fuels make up the huge percentage of of the need for producing energy. Um, you know, we were up in the 70% range. We may be slightly below that, but fossil fuels are critical. And um, the idea that the government is going to step in and try in every way possible to uh, to fight those fossil fuels, still doing it, as a matter of fact, uh, is insane, and that adds significantly. Despite the president trying to blame everybody but himself for it, it's his policies that are behind those spectacularly high fossil fuel, uh, gasoline, and other fossil fuel prices. Yeah, it's interesting you said that. We've talked about this with a number of oil analysts. I mean, a big factor in this is demonizing the capital that's needed to make these investments. I love how they often say, oh, well, there's all these permits and these companies could start uh, drilling and in, 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 in taking use of these permits. Well, you know, like half of those permits might not even yield anything and they just keep 
forgetting to mention that they're demonizing the capital investment that these projects need. And, and kind of just explain that real quick, because that, that's that's another thing that um, from just talking to an overwhelming number of markets people and economists is that misstep on the energy front. And that has led to a lot of these other issues that we're seeing because petroleum, oil, all of that, it impacts every aspect of life. So just kind of explain uh, just in a little further on on that misstep and then the demonizing of the capital that's needed. I mean, these are, are, are big, big issues. Absolutely. And one of the most shocking things to me is this emphasis in the investment fund management world on what's called ESG, environment, social issues, and governance. Um, they're now rating companies um, in, this, uh, in this sort of social engineering manner, uh, saying, how well are you doing um, uh, in terms of measuring up to um, environmental standards as measured in um, ESG items, that, that environmental item would include uh, measures of pollution and other things um, that are very inexact. And it looks like it's being run. Have, have you seen that commentary by Musk on, um, on the fact that some of these huge investment funds, as you so well suggest, are pulling away from fossil fuels in allocating uh, investment funds because they're not measuring up well on these social and liberal issues uh, that are involved in this ESG. And um, Mr. Musk highlighted that today, I think. It's really interesting because that's really not what the Fed is created to do. And um, the Fed is monetary policy and employment. I mean, go go through real quick as we get into this. It's not social engineering. I mean, when 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 you have central bank social engineer, that's that's almost like you know you're picking winners and losers and social engineering. That's that's pretty close to communism when when you really get down to it. What I mean, explain the Fed mandate and what they really should be doing? You know, if you want to change the world socially, you do that through legislative and and laws and and different you know, projects and that kind of thing. But at a, a a central bank monetary policy, that's not their role at all. And explain what their mandate actually is. You said it extremely well. It, the worst possible thing the Fed could be doing would be to try to force banks to lend only in the uh, environmentally sound uh, global uh, climate change areas and 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 not lend at all to the fossil fuel industry and the danger the greatest danger would be for the Fed to uh, end up with regulators who are trying to force banks to shift lending away from the fossil fuel industry. Nothing the central bank could do would be worse than that. I'm. I've been very uneasy about the European Central Bank uh, under Lagarde. Uh, she, in fact, has this sort of social engineering idea and has alluded to the fact that she'd love to see um, only investment in in the uh, global 
climate change area, and uh, it's the worst possible thing a central bank can do. But the Fed's job is to, for the economy as a whole, and I emphasize the economy as a whole, to supply credit to meet the objectives of maximum employment and stable prices and nothing else. Um, And the Fed should stay completely away from trying to pick, as you so well uh, articulated, winners and losers. That's the last thing a central bank should be doing. Well, and you talked about Europe. We certainly wouldn't want to follow uh, their lead. We saw their mismanagement, Germany and others, mismanagement in in energy. And that has led to, you can make a case, that has led to a lot of the issues that we're seeing in Ukraine right now. Uh, Europe and some of their policies have led themselves to be overly reliant for years on Russian energy. And again, you know, stepping away from what they're supposed to do and and trying to do social engineering from a central bank is just madness. And and we've already gotten a little whiff of that in Europe. And that, those European ideas, central bank ideas, are kind of being floated around at the Fed. That's real. That's a, for some real concern. I mean, that could fundamentally even change how the U.S. is and our economy in a big, big way. That's the one thing I'll give Chairman Powell credit for, at least to the extent he's talked about it. He has emphasized that climate change is in the government's hands and uh, the Fed should stay away from it. But he's under a lot of political pressure. Um, His reappointment was held up because of politics. Uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, saying that he's a danger to society. She wanting a liberal, much more liberal person in that job. As I say, it's just the Fed has to stay as far away as possible from this uh, this global climate change area. Um, it's up to the government, as you say, and the people who vote for the government to decide how much will be done in this area. Shifting back to the markets and the economy. So we've kind of talked about the setup and the missteps and what's going on here and it's not an overly rosy picture, especially in the second half of the year. How does this all impact the stock market? You know, I've talked to s- several just investors who are like, do we have more to go? You know, how bad can this get? Is it going to affect the stock market from are you watching this for, for quite some time? How far do, or how much does the stock market react? When does it start moving in a different direction when, you know, policy starts looking like it's coming through? I mean, how does financial markets react to these kind of things? I'm not going to try to be an expert in that timing uh, direction. It's just too difficult. Right. All I would say is um, that uh, it's going to be longer uh, before we see the light at the end of the tunnel. I don't think anybody was aware as to how much speculation there was in the stock market based on that uh, near zero cost of money for upwards of a decade. And it will take a long time for that to correct itself. That I'm not saying there won't be rallies in this bear market, right. uh, and we've already seen some of them, but um, I think it's going to be a long correction phase. Uh, that's the bad news. I mean, we're talking about a year or two instead of you know, in the next two or three months, which, as you so well point out, many of the market 
participants are hoping to see light at the end of the tunnel sooner rather than later. Uh, it's just not going to happen that way. I, I think the market is going to go through a major stage of readjustment, um, given the likelihood that the Fed is going to have to, as I said, push interest rates sharply higher. I would bring out a piece of good news in the sense that it looks like the high-tech stocks are getting hit the hardest as interest rates go up and the present discounted value of future cash flow from those tech stocks is hammered um, in a rising interest rate environment. But I do think that uh, our technology sector, which is our guiding light as far as I'm concerned, is here to stay. So once we pull out of this nosedive in terms of stock prices, whenever that may be, um, I think we can still hope that the technology sector will be a highly important source of strength in the market. But I think that's a lot further ahead than many people uh, currently realize. Technology leads to lower inflation in the long run, and that's one of the silver linings here. Explain that, because technology leads to being more efficient. You know, that's not going away. And and when we, we have the next, as things correct, technology will be the leader in that efficiency. Uh, Just explain that just real quick. Well, technology is is the key here. And if you want to look at the degree to which an economy can grow on a sustained basis, uh, you have to look at the word productivity. That's the key. Technology has brought us efficiency and higher productivity. Productivity is 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 measured as output per worker hour and essentially the the speed which our economy can grow depends on how fast our labor force is growing and how fast productivity is growing uh you put those two things together uh we've been growing slowly and more recently but our potential for growth is great uh technology artificial intelligence the cloud all of these unbelievable advances the you know the internet all these advances in the technological area should lead to much higher productivity we we tend to run around two percent per year productivity growth we were three percent a year when we were in the middle of the first wave of of the technology revolution in the period from 1995 to let's say 2005 but um we can hope for a long period of greater efficiency because of this technology revolution. And so there's no reason why we can't see over time a significant increase in productivity and thus great potential growth in this economy. You mentioned globalization uh, before. We've seen some of the dings that globalization has taken with uh, you know, with the onset of the pandemic, which has led to a whole bunch of uh, supply chain issues. Do you think what we've seen here recently will maybe pull back from the whole globalization thing that you had talked about that was a driver before when, you know, maybe some production is being brought home and, 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 and is there a new dynamic there? Yes, definitely. I think The emphasis on globalization, which was so great earlier, is now going to be reversed uh, as a result of the effects of the pandemic. Also, 
<clears throat> I don't know how you see it, but I see the labor market as being very different post-pandemic than it was before. Workers are looking for new, higher-paying jobs. Workers are looking for part-time jobs. It's very hard to find workers that are willing to work in a full-time job in a office building, and perhaps technology will allow them to work part-time at home, which is part of this productivity thing we're talking about. But um, it's a very different world, and we will see less globalization, uh, hopefully more productivity to make up for that. Uh, so that we can see growth at three or four percent instead of one or two percent, but um, that it'll be a while before that kicks in. Uh, certainly, we're talking maybe three years out in, instead of uh, any any short term improvement. All right, and as we wrap up the gains podcast today, you know we've kind of set the table and looked at this in a very realistic way. I, I mean, this is what it is, and and it's got to be worked through and. There's going to be a ton of volatility and maybe some more downside, and 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 some folks will uh, fill it in the economy. What's your takeaway, David, from uh, today's discussion? What do you want to leave our uh, gains listeners with? Well, I want to leave them with uh, short-term concern, but longer-term optimism. Uh, this economy still has a great future, again, because of the uh, amazing ability of this economy to reinvent itself. Um, you know, you can go back to um, uh, Edison's invention of electricity, and then in the early 1900s, all of those spectacular invest in, innovations in terms of the automobile, the airplane, telephone, telegraph, all of those things uh, done by our economy. And then, of course, the technology revolution centered in Silicon Valley, California, um, we have this ability, and, and now in medicine, uh, the ability to, in a rapid way, invent the key success in handling the pandemic in terms of vaccines. Uh, so the greatest strength of this economy is innovation, entrepreneurship, and the ability of this economy to reinvent itself and um and i see that coming in the future phases of the technology revolution uh as we look ahead and that's good news for this economy and it's always good to finish the conversation off on a good note but it's also good to have a realistic look because i think a lot of people they want to get through this rough patch and move on and i get that but there's a lot of things we still need to work through. Exactly. And uh, I've enjoyed this conversation very much. Short-term problems, longer-term, things look better. Big thanks to David Jones, chairman of DMJ Advisors out of Denver, author of the book, Understanding Central Banking. And as always, hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's an option for you. And subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We are back on Wednesday morning, and I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.